So hopefully we've got a few watching. I'm sure Eveline's sitting waiting. Stuart and Corrine maybe. Awesome. Sundar Santi maybe. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Lee, Lee Grant probably there. Hallelujah. Lise, Adi and Ali maybe. If I've missed you, sorry. Love you. Amen. God knows. Anyway, hallelujah. Father, we thank you, praise you, worship you for what we have done this morning, come together and worship and praise, testimony, looking at the word, hallelujah, pictures, awesome, thank you, praise you for what you've been saying to us so far, Father, to love what you, the, the way you communicate with us, through your word, through the Holy Spirit, through brothers and sisters, hallelujah, so we come now to hear what you're saying to us through your word, through your, your literally breathed of you, your scripture. We thank you and praise you that it's so freely available for us that we can dig into this any time. Thank you for these seeds we're about to plant into our hearts, Father. Pray that these seeds are not stolen. Pray that we understand, sorry, and so that these seeds are not stolen. Understanding is the key so that they will germinate and grow and produce fruit in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go and stick off those heaters, will you, darling? I can just feel the sauna behind me. I know you're all sitting there in your jackets and and around, but um, I'm a hard northerner. Hallelujah! Awesome. I was down at um. A conference one time, and it was at a government establishment, and they'd moved from London to York. And I remember it had taken me eight hours to get there. And one of the talks was about lack of resources, how they'd found it so hard for people to move this far north. This far north? York. Never mind. Here we go again. What time of year is it? Yeah, how many days to Christmas? 29. I only know it's 29 because it's four weeks. Tomorrow, we're off to India. And that's on Christmas Day. So we've got four Sundays left. There won't be a service on Christmas Eve because we will not be here. Don't know if I've told you, but I'm going to India. Yeah, where's Josh? And um, and then I think, if I can't remember, the is it the 21st or the 22nd of January, we're back a service. I can't remember the exact date but we're back on the 17th so it'll be the first Sunday after that. It's probably the 21st. Carl, I always tell people I've, I've, got, a, I've got a degree in mathematics, not arithmetic. Okay. Four Sundays to go. Um, oh, I should, have, I should have just read my notes. The last Sunday will be the 17th of December, and we'll start again on the 21st. Look at your notes, Vic. So, uh, and so I said last week, I want to use this next four weeks to help me. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge myself, and I want you guys to be part of this challenge. I want to boot up the behind for this. When's that book going to be published, Vic? So that's what I want to do next year, is publish this book about the Nativity. I've been thinking about it right well. I've been writing it for years. And um, 
in January and February, I write a chapter. <laughs> I remember, I think it was last year, I was in a train in February and I wrote loads. And then that was it. So I need to, I need to push it. So I'm kind of using this next four weeks to help me prepare material for this book. Because I want to write a book, produce a book that busts the myths around the birth of Jesus, around the nativity, whatever you want to call it. Because, I mean, I'm preaching to the converted this morning. And, but you love hearing it again and again. You know what's coming at Christmas in Mary Grace Fellowship. And I'm sure there's folk out there wanting to hear this as well. We know that there's so much wrong in the narrative about the birth of Jesus. And we've all kind of grown up with it. And I don't know about you, but I just swallowed it hook, line, and sinker until I got this realization that there's so much different in the Bible about the birth of Jesus. And a lot of what we believe is not in the Bible. And a lot of what we believe is contrary to the Bible. So I want to bust that myth and get rid of tradition um, and get rid of these traditions that actually push away from the amazing typology in the birth of Jesus. Because that's what this is going to be about the next three weeks, about the typology of Jesus. Because we all know where Jesus was born and who saw him that his birth is a picture of his death. It's a typology of his mission, what he came to do and what he was here for. His birth points to his death. And tradition just gets rid of that. It's one of the best kept secrets in Christendom. We, we speak to people about this every, every year in, in the church, and it's just... Of course he was born in a stable body, and that's what the Bible says. Actually, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so I want, and I want to write this book for believers. Because the glory of this story, the majesty of his birth is stolen from us by these traditions. By these darn wise men getting over the shepherds. Anyway. So I was thinking I'm going to kind of do it around questions. If I were to go outside with people in the cafe today, if I were to go and ask them questions, I think I'd know the answers I get. And I know the answers I'd get from believers as well. If I was to say to the people out there, who were at the birth of Jesus? We'd be told three wise men and some shepherds. Wise men gets precedence. We were over at family at, for yesterday, Friday night and yesterday. And yesterday was decoration day. They have like an official day when they decorate the house. And also the, the little kids get presents and stuff like that. It was, oh, it was just fantastic. They were high as kites. I mean, one of them, well, both of them were literally bouncing off the walls. You know, up and down, up and round the couch. It was just like watching Jay when he used to run round the couch. And... Um, one of them was told, put out the nativity. So I thought, kind of, I'm going to watch this. I mean, it was hilarious because he wound up his mum by not putting Jesus in the manger. You know what he puts? He put a sheep. Because Nancy pointed that out. Said, well, well, it's okay, it's okay. Here's the sacrifice of the lamb. But, you know, 
There they were, front and center, right next to the manger, the darn wise men. No, no pigs in this nativity, unlike ours. But there they were. So if I were to say, yeah, who's at the birth of Jesus? Oh, three wise men and some shepherds. Wrong. Not biblical. If I were to ask the question, where was Jesus born? 99.9% of probably everybody, apart from Broca MGF, would say in the stable by the inn. Wrong. Not biblical. If I were to ask, why did Jesus come? Most people would say to bring peace on earth. Wrong. That's not biblical either. So these are the kind of main points I want to cover. And I'll have a week left at the end. Because the week before Christmas, I want to do be it unto thy word. Sorry? Be it unto me according to thy word. When I was close, wasn't I? It's a good job she's here, son. You would have got the gist of what I was saying. But oh no, it's got to be perfect. I'll maybe not do that. I'll maybe not do that on the last one. I'll maybe make, let Nunzi do the last one. And she can do it because she knows the, the scriptures properly. Anyway, anyway, hurry on. So the main points I want to do, that's what I want to cover. And this is what I want to write the book about. I want to bust those myths about the nativity. And I want to encourage believers to read the word for themselves. Because I just wonder how many of them read these accounts at Christmas. Or just go along to their church and watch what's in nativity. You know, and, and see the giraffes. And the robots and aliens and all these things that, that, are, that weren't there that are now in the nativity, in the wise men and Yoda. <laughs> yes, so all these things that weren't there. I want to I wanna, I wanna encourage people to read the word for themselves around that. But then I also want to push them a little bit as well. And as well as seeing what's wrong with the traditions around Christmas, but also look at, well, what's wrong with all the other traditions? What, what actually am I doing at communion? And what does the word say about communion? Why am I examining myself for sin at communion? That tradition when the Bible doesn't say it. Why am I being asked, um, Lydia, you know Lydia's at uni now. So the first Sunday was there, she went to church. Fantastic. I said, was it good? She said, it was Okay. But the week they ask me to ask for forgiveness, I'm not going back. Yeah, she knows what a drowdy said. But why, we, why does tradition make us ask for forgiveness? Why is tradition wanting us to humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways that we'll be forgiven? No, I'm not being arrogant. I don't have to humble myself and turn from my wicked ways. You know, I've already, no, that didn't sound right. Now, let me rephrase that. That didn't say. Um, in order to be forgiven, I don't have to humble myself and turn from my wicked ways. It would probably be a good idea now and again I humbled myself, turn, turn from my wicked ways. That would probably be a good idea, but not to be forgiven. What have you been forgiven? Second Jesus' blood flowed, I was forgiven. We were all forgiven. What does this say about what, how, what I have to do to be right with God? 
Nothing. So I want to encourage people to read the word around, to show them, I think, that you've been fooled and conned about the nativity, about the birth of Jesus. The most important stories, accounts in the Bible. What else have we been conned on? That's kind of what I want the book to be, to book to go through. So let's look at myth one. But first, I want to want to ask you a couple of questions just to set some ground rules. Yeah. Um, so where do we believe Jesus is right now with respect to the Father? So think about the Father, and think about where's Jesus right now. Doing what? Sitting. What does that signify? His work is finished. So when I'm talking about this next bit, we need to remember, with respect to the Father, he is now seated at his right hand because his work is finished. That, that part, perfectly perfect, finished work is finished. We believe that, don't we? We say the perfectly perfect, finished work is finished. So... Absolutely finished, unconditionally finished. There's nothing we need to do. No, everything he came to do, he's done. He didn't fail in anything. Correct, thank you. So let's debunk the first myth then. Let's go to Luke 2. And it came to pass in those days, verse 1, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger in the stable. No, laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the end. We'll do this next week. Because there was no room for them in the end, so of course he was in a stable. Where's the logic? It's not there. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. See, it was a sign. I've just noticed that all these years I've been preaching. There's, there's a sign. Where he's born is a sign. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And here's the first myth. Bing Crosby has got a lot to answer for. Right, poor Bing. He's got a lot to answer for. But we see this on Christmas cards. We hear it on Christmas songs that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. And when people say that, they mean peace among men. Rubbish. Rubbish. 
just read your Bible. It tells you what kind of piece it was. This doesn't need much interpretation, but I've got another 20 minutes to film. So I will interpret it for you. This, yes, he came to bring peace on earth, but this peace, this goodwill, was to men. It's, that's what it says. Not among men, but this is a myth. It's just, it's as entrenched as the other ones that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. And it, it does need some rightly dividing of the word to debunk it. So let's see what it's not first. So go to Matthew 10. And let me also ask you a question. So Jesus, Jesus came and it was perfectly perfect work was finished. It was accomplished. He had nothing else to do. Yeah? And he wasn't schizophrenic. Okay? So he wasn't schizophrenic. Right. Good. Excellent. So Matthew 10. So some people say he came to bring peace on earth between men. Verse 34 says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. <laughs> what? So he came, Luke says he came to bring peace on earth. Jesus says, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I come not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man as variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter in law against her mother in law. And his and, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Okay. So maybe that was just, you know, maybe Luke and Matthew have just got their wires crossed a little bit. Because Luke says there's going to be peace on earth. Well, let's go further on to Luke 12. Luke 12, verse 51. Suppose you that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there should be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father and the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother and the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. It's all mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. No, no sons-in-law and father-in-law. We got on great. But, but, you know, it's... <laughs> no, no. Jesus was not schizophrenic. He's not a sadist either. He's saying these things. He, it's not saying them to enjoy this part of his mission. His words, his actions are going to bring division. And actually, what they're saying here is that this division is going to be among the closest of relationships. So if there's going to be division among the closest of relationships in the family, there's going to be other divisions Nation against nation, country against country, region against region. That's, that's going to happen. Nations are people groups. Jesus' words, Jesus' actions are so powerful yet divisive. But not in what he says, but in the way men receive it. The way men receive these words. Jesus is not trying to divide, trying to uh, disrupt peace but he knows the words that he says the things that he does other things that happen in the world. some people are going to be attracted 
and some people are going to be repelled. He's simply stating a fact. He's not enjoying it. He didn't come to do it. But he's stating a fact that because of what I'm saying, there there is going to be division among families, among nation groups all over the place. Just look around the world today. We don't need to dig deep into our newspapers or far down our news apps on our phones to start seeing there's not peace in the world today. Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, North, South Korea. Everywhere. Everywhere. Any other potential hotspot or areas that you, you want to pick or where fighting's actually taking place. Right now, there is not peace on earth. Never. There never has been peace on earth. Never since man could pick up sticks and stones after the fall. Weapons. It's, it's, it's the same as forever. Just that our weapons, unfortunately, are far more destructive now than they used to be. So what, what can we conclude for that? There is not peace on earth. So either Jesus failed and his work was not the perfectly perfect finished work. And we don't believe that, did we? No. Or he did not come to bring peace on earth. As in peace among men. First myth. Scripture is clear he did not come to bring peace among men. He's told them all. Now, because of what I say, there's not going to be peace on earth. He brought peace to men, not peace among men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Now, it doesn't stop there. There's another bit in that sentence that explains what that word peace is. Good will toward. Now you look at that Greek word toward, there is no meaning among. It's not a wrong translation. Peace is the Greek word irani, means to join, literally or figuratively, peace. Love this. By implication, prosperity, rest. Set at one again. Goodwill is a Greek word. I like this one. Eudokia. Eudokia means satisfaction. That is delight, kindness, good pleasure. These are great words, and this is a great verse. It's not about peace on earth amongst men. It's peace on earth towards men. This peace is, is goodwill toward men, bringing satisfaction bringing delight and kindness, bringing good pleasure to men. So if there's goodwill to men, that's like one party. Because it's talking about um, to join, to set it one again. So mankind is is one of those parties. We we know that because it's toward men. And if you're being joined, you need two parties. Yeah? So what it's saying is Jesus is coming to join someone or something to someone or something else. 
And this joining, we're just understanding the Greek, this joining brings rest, peace, prosperity. So if we are one party being joined, and Jesus is bringing that, who's he bringing it from? Who's the second party? Well, we know it's God the Father. Now, we, can look at, we can look at scriptures and see that, but we know it's God the Father. Jesus came from heaven. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us to do the will of the Father. Loads of scriptures to do that. And we've done loads already because we're working our way through John. I can only do the will of the Father. It's not my will, his. It's not my mission, it's his. That's all things Jesus has said. So Jesus is bringing peace to earth, peace from the Father to mankind, goodwill to mankind. And I just love that. Look at Colossians 1. Colossians 1 verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him, this is Jesus, and we know this is talking about Jesus, because it starts verse 13, it's clearly about Jesus. You guys know this is one of my favorite passages about Jesus. But Colossians 1.19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether there be things in the earth or things in heaven. And you, people, mankind, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Here's that word, peace, again. It's from the same root as before. It's a slightly different word, but it's from exactly the same root. We do know this is about Jesus. Verse 13 says, who is talking about God, and it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us unto the kingdom of his dear son, and then launches into the best description of Jesus Christ in the world, or one of the best descriptions. So Jesus came to the earth with the fullness of God. Other scriptures that we've done recently would show us he actually is God. But that's not a contradiction. He is God. He's got the fullness of God. That's, that's one and the same. And he made peace. And it tells us how he made peace. Through his blood on the cross. And he reconciled all mankind to God. Verse 20 says we were alienated and enemies of God. That word alienation means estranged, away from, to be a non-participant. We, mankind that is, could not participate with God. Mankind was away from God. We know that was sin, we know that was a fall. That enemy, the Greek word means hateful, odious, actively hostile, an adversary. Mankind had become all those things to God. <laughs> yeah, he still sent Jesus for us. Odious, actively hostile. Yep, they're still going. Angels, but, but, but Lord, they're, they're odious. They're all actively working against you. Yeah, I'm still sending them. I think that's fantastic. Mankind had become all those things to God. And there was no way back for man in his own strength. We all know this. Something had to be done. Something had to be sorted. 
and it was only Jesus that could do it. Sometimes you were alienated and enemies. And that's not the case after the finished work of Jesus Christ. Part of which was bleeding and dying on the cross. We have been reconciled. That's what this says. All mankind has been reconciled. That Greek word is apokataloso. Apokataloso. And funnily enough, it means to reconcile. <laughs> to bring two warring parties together again. Together again. I love that. To join, in other words, to bring rest, to bring peace, to bring prosperity. And this was from God to man. All his doing, all his planning. Not, nothing we could do. Knowing full well that most people would reject it. Oh, I'm still going to send them. So that there could be peace between man and God. Amen. Wonderful. Peace through the blood of the cross. You see, Jesus was born to die. More on that next week, Carol. Jesus was born to die. Talking about peace to earth. We know what that peace was. But you know what? That peace could have been capital P as well. He was that peace. On the same day that he was grace, and the same day that he was truth, and the same day he, way that he was compassion, he also was peace. The same way he was the resurrection, we saw that was that last week, the week before. He also was peace. Good old Christmas verse. Where am I going now? Oh, oh yeah, you saw me go about which one? Nine verse six. Close. Of course, you got one wrong. Don't. Isaiah 9, verse, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his I just want to sing this out. And the government shall. It's time to listen to Messiah again, isn't it? It's like, come on, Vic, get him in there. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. No, stop it. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Child is born, relating to his humanity. Son is given, relating to his divinity. But here he is called Prince of Peace. And that uses the Greek word shalom. The Hebrew word, she's correct. The Hebrew word shalom. Meaning, and that's a great word. It means safe, well, happy, healthy, prosperous, and at peace. He brought that for mankind from God. Peace to earth. Peace between God and man. Goodwill to men. Man reconciled to God. This is the amazing truth about Jesus coming to earth. About the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Not that it would be peace on earth among men. How much better was it? He brought peace from God Almighty. Goodwill to us. Odious and hateful us. Oh, you are all so odious and hateful. No, you were. And that's awesome. Jesus came to end the enmity between God and man that sin had brought in. The enmity that 
that mankind could not deal with, an enmity that only Jesus could deal with. And now, in the eyes of God, all are forgiven because of Jesus. Now, in the eyes of God, all were reconciled. Does that make everyone okay? No, because there's still a choice. We still have to choose to be reconciled. You read 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to read that in a moment. They say there, you're reconciled to God. I suggest you should be reconciled. I've already been reconciled. No, no, you. You need to make that. You need to do your part as well. But now in the eyes of God, all are reconciled. All have the opportunity for relationship. And I say opportunity because the next part is a choice. Such as what too many people in the church, I, I might cover this as well in my book. Book's going to be like this thick now. Um, what a lot of people in the church do not realize, and I say this often, but people get upset about it forgiveness and reconciliation is a gift of grace. End of. Everyone, in the eyes of God, everyone has been forgiven. And everyone has been reconciled to him. But not everyone's benefiting from that forgiveness and that reconciliation. To benefit from that as a man or a woman or boy and a girl, humanity as individuals, because as a whole, they've been forgiven and reconciled. But as individuals, to move from forgiveness and reconciliation into salvation and righteousness now, that's slightly different. This is a gift of grace through faith. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Shouldn't really need to go there, but I will. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Or what does that mean? Not imputing their trespasses against them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though Christ did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, and you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. In him. Now, I know this is not a Christmas scripture. Well, it is because it's the gospel. It's about the finished work of Jesus Christ. But it's about him and it describes what he came to do, came to bring, and what he did. Starts by talking about any man being in Christ, that's saved, born again, made a positive choice for Jesus. Yeah, we agree with that. If you've saved, you have been made righteous. You've already been forgiven, already been reconciled in the eyes of God. But once you make that decision for Jesus, it's as if you are reconciling yourself to God and you're saved and you're made righteous. And once saved, you're sozoed. I'll tell you a little bit of type of it's sozoed. No, it's not sozoed. It's sozoed. And that Greek word is very similar to the Hebrew word, shalom. Saved, healed, made whole, prospered. Amen. Jesus came to make all that possible. And before he could do it, he had to take peace from God. 
He had to settle that issue so that in God's eyes, we were no longer odious, hateful. Sin wasn't an issue. Jesus came to make all that possible by bringing peace from God, by bringing goodwill toward men. And he completed that mission in his perfectly perfect finished work. There is now no enmity between man and God in God's eyes. Certainly men out there who still seem to have an issue, but not God. He never came to bring peace on earth among men. That's a misinterpretation of the word. I've got written on there yet, David Bowie, David Bowie and Bing Crosby got it wrong. Christmas cards are wrong. It's the Bible that's correct. Believers start looking to the Bible, not stupid Christmas cards or dead singers. You know, look, look to the Bible. Maybe she shouldn't have put that one out. Look to the Bible for what the nativity is all about. Look to the Bible for the truths about the birth of Jesus, not tradition. Next week, even bigger myths busted. Amen.